Howdy do, buckaroos! Greetings from the Uncanny Valley. This is the incomparable TV podcast about Westworld. Thanks to Jason and the incomparable and everyone over there for hosting us. We are going to step into analysis for season two, episode six of Westworld, Phase Space. I'm your host, Kelly Gamont. With me as always, Don Melton. Party on, Don. Party on, Garth. And we have a member of the board with us again uh, for season two for additional analysis. I'd like to welcome Tom Bridge to the podcast. Hi, Tom. Hey, how's it going, Kelly? Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited that you're here, Um, partly because you are saving my phone battery right now by just talking to Don instead of using iMessage to do it, (laughs) because I put you guys together on iMessage. Again, tactical error on my part, because every time I turn around, I have some ginormous number badge on (laughs) messages. Um, Look, I just feel ways about things. It's terribly (laughs) exciting, but um, yeah. So, uh, also, uh, the arm massage has been nice because I get a little buzz from my watch every time somebody texts me. Um, With that, I think uh, we are going to step into analysis. I think just before the show started, we were talking about how each of us have now seen the episode three times. Yep. And uh, I I know we're going to go through character threads, but I really want to start with the part that sort of was only technically part of the show and that was the bit before the credits which was the previously which literally only included two words of dialogue which were hi dad and the rest of it was the musical accompaniment and just scenes no no it's not just musical accompaniment it's suspenseful music playing that's what it says (laughs) in the the (laughs) it was suspenseful accompaniment um it was it was super great, and part of what we're going to talk about uh, in this particular episode is uh, a lot of the music stuff uh, from the first half of the season. That's part of why Tom's here, for people who remember him from last time. And it was – and like one of the things I wrote down when I was taking notes about this episode was that I hope we get basically a bonus volume of soundtrack at the end of the season that's just um, – the entire first season soundtrack, but done with all the Japanese instruments the way they did stuff this season for Shogun World because I think Ooh. that was amazing. Yes. Because I really you know, want to hear Reveries way... and Ford's theme and all of that, but Jap- but the way the Jap- with the Japanese instruments, I think that would be amazing. You, you want to make, make Ramin awesome. Jawadi uh, just work overtime for you? No, he already did it once. He already played them all once. All the orchestration exists. I just want to hear them with the 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 flutes and the other instruments, you know, that we oh, get, oh, we're oh, getting oh, from the Shogun you. World yeah. score. I, w- I just want all that same stuff, but Japanese flavored. I think it would be awesome. And see, um, I'm here just the one who wants it all from the Raj. And, uh, you know, oh. the, 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 the sitars from uh, Seven Nation Army uh, is want, nothing yes. short of uh, awesome. I want to hear everything from the player piano done in the style of each of the parks, <laughs> I would buy it. <laughs> I would absolutely buy it, yes. Uh, um, well, seeing as <laughs> how, you know, they always put it on Apple Music, I'll say, sure, I'll buy it, you know, because you, you just get it with a subscription. $15 a month. Right. Uh, I, I got to tell you, $15 a month uh, well, with a family subscription, I get a lot of mileage on Ramin Jawadi's scores for everything. So, total yes. bargain. But oh, not just sure. the and not just the music in this episode. Uh, in that uh, previously on Westworld, what I thought was key, because I watched them a lot more closely on that, 
is exactly which scenes are they highlighting for the episode. Yes. Because you can tell in the beginning, or at least you think you can tell, where the episode is going mm-hmm. and what they want to highlight for you to remember. Yeah, remember this? Because we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that what they did incredibly well with the new uh, the new format, and I do hope it's a format that they're keeping, um, is that it, they're not here to waste your time. They are not here to um, uh, they're not here to telegraph everything that's coming in front of you. Mm-hmm. They're here to kind of resurface a few key moments in your brain that you might have otherwise missed or that you might not have thought about in a couple of weeks. And I feel like the way that they're doing um, timelines this season and time frames this season, I feel like. Uh, I need that more than I ever do, but they've given themselves permission to be smart about it. And I, I feel like that that's true of, you know, Jonah and Lisa's choices throughout the season is that they've given themselves permission to be, are we really going to need to explain this to everybody? And the answer is nope. Um, there's only a one other they show that does that. It. And it's, it's, <laughs> there's only one other show on television that does that right now. And it's Legion, which is like Westworld, but like oh, five times weirder. Um, it's, it's and Westworld, but with the brown acid. Yeah. Yes, 100% with the brown acid. And <laughs> so, you know, I, I feel like I, I love what they did with this particular element of the mm-hmm. show this week. And I'm hopeful to see more of it because I feel like it gives the audience um, a chance to uh, remember without having to necessarily uh, relive. Yeah, right. The, the, and that's important, I think. And that's like you were saying, that's one of my favorite things about this show is that they're giving me some credit as an audience member that by showing me this bit of stuff, I will remember what that was. Oh, right. Those two had that conversation. Oh, right. This was the fighting thing that happened. Oh, right. This was the, you know, whatever. And I really enjoy that sort of we're giving you like we have enough faith that you're going to remember what this stuff was about. Right. But they also made it easier this episode compared to most of the other episodes for the season, because with the exception of uh, the opening, which will the letterbox opening, which we'll talk about in a bit, it was all linear storytelling. This uh, this episode, everything really happened basically a week ago from whatever the latest event, you know, from the opening of season one, which was the. Uh, rather, the opening of season two in episode one, you know, that's the the present or latest timeline. This is all happening approximately a week before that. But it's not like we were jumping around to two weeks ago, present timeline, 30 years ago, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of shit. It was pretty linear this time. And they were they were basically moving between several storylines uh, or character threads until they got to a very important point uh, for several of them, at least, which is the train go boom at the Mesa, which we'll get to in a minute. And that synchronized event made you realize, oh yeah, they're not fucking with this with nonlinear storytelling this is, uh, time, but they fucked with this in another way, which was, in this opening, like episode one of season two, was letterboxed. And you know, I had to, I had to, I watched the episode for the uh, uh, for the third time last night, but for her first time with my sister last night, and she's watching that opening. And she didn't notice it right away. Letterboxed. And I said, "Do you remember how 
uh, season two, episode one, the opening with Dolores and who we think is Arnold is also letterboxed. Keep watching the show and you'll find out why that is. That was the big, that was the big thing this time. That's what they want to tell us. So I think they, they put the, uh, they put the non-linear storytelling on like low, you know, low temperature, mm-hmm. and they put the "we're gonna fuck with you in another way" on high temperature. So that opening, you know, we think it's just like you know, it's Dolores and Arnold talking, and you think we're gonna have like the awkward conversation, like in uh, episode one of the season. But then, what happens, gang? <laughs> <laughs> oh fidelity and yeah. you know freeze all motor part... functions <laughs> yeah you know that was the part where it, that was the exciting part because once you know you said once the lord exactly what was happening that this was something out of the you know we knew it was the ordinary right they wouldn't let her box it um, I mean, they might, but that thing got fun with. Uh, but the when when she breaks out the fidelity is where all of the hair on my back and my neck stood up, and I climbed backwards over my couch to hide. Um, because <laughs> I like to point out, I think is... Tom texted me. I think one of us texted the other fidelity in all caps, and you both of us like me. replied, "Oh my god!" Yeah, yeah, you did that to me, so. Yeah, it was, I knew exactly it, where in the episode you were, of course, because I was like about fifteen minutes ahead of you because you you had the, you had the relatives over with the tasty uh, brisket. What was it? Yeah, tri tip. I was tri-tip, distracted yeah. by Ooh, by well grilled tri tip. <laughs> yeah, it was delightful. Um, but yeah, the, that moment of of holy crap! Well, and like. But it started almost when she says he didn't say that. Yeah. And you, yeah. what I, I yep. love the little That's thing right. is before she says something, you know, she's out of focus in the background and you see her shake her head. Mm. So subtle, the direction. So well, subtle. And then and it goes right after on. she's given us the big. That's right after she's given us the big Dolores smile, which I'm fairly certain is the cause of global warming. Um, But, you know, (laughs) she then just like pivots it and you get the, you know, you've gone from, oh, she's so sweet to I'm fairly certain that, you know, she's the cause of the end of the universe. And um, that, you know, she strips the gear on your mental on your mental transmission so fast in that little piece of it that I just want to kind of give everybody involved in that scene like a high five because that was just a beautiful moment. Yeah, yes. and I love I love the way she said it. You know, she uh, she said he said he didn't question whether or not he had agency, whether or not he had the right to end me or himself, but whether he should. It was so creepily fucking clinical. In a way mm-hmm. that yes. only Evan Rachel Wood can do. I don't know why, but she is one of the best on the show of turning that little knob of creepiness on. But, you know, in the following scene, we get another creepy uh, motherfucker. After we go to this letterbox scene, we see um, Teddy, new Teddy, reach ah. down for what you think is the can 
uh, the can of condensed milk because what else would you go to Sweetwater for? But he picks up a bullet and uh, examines it. And I'm like, and I got to tell you, James Marsden went from a full nice guy Cyclops to crazy fucking old man Logan pretty quick this episode. And it was, uh, what a performance. I mean, well, and I, th- I think that you, the interesting part of all of that is that there's been a lot of reflection upon what it means for Teddy to be who he is right now and to be cognizant of what he is, because I feel like he is cognizant of what he is at this point. And the, the you know, the, that he is at this point kind of unhinged from his conscience um, is a, a big part of uh, the, uh, the, the future of Teddy, because I feel like he doesn't, it, he is all out of fucks to give, folks. He has a little <laughs> button that says fucks to give, and it has a little zero badge in the upper right-hand corner. Yeah. The badge I have is that red. pin. Um, it's yeah, from Super uh-huh. Team Deluxe, and it's glorious. And yes, I have that exact same pin. It makes. And you'll put happy. that pin in the show notes, right? I uh, will. So that everybody else can have that pin. We'll yes. call it a teddy pin. Um, but the fact yes. that that's Teddy's pin is absolutely kind of um, crucial to what we're seeing at this point because um, you know we're we're seeing a a Teddy who is unhinged from his conscience and that's where he gets real creepy because he murdered the hell out of that security guy. Oh, he hard murdered him so fast and so violently through the middle of his skull. I was like, I you know. And I, you know, I watch Game of Thrones and don't flinch. Uh, and that was like, I, I just was not expecting that. I was just not It was cold-blooded. And, well, you and know, that did you notice? That is that you associate with him. But, Angela but, looked a little turned on by the end of it. Yeah. I mean, she was oh. kind of, I think she was giving him a new look by the time that was all over with. Cause, yeah, it's like, she was yeah. like looking at Dolores, if you don't want him, I want him. <laughs> So, yeah. by the way, yeah, if you to, don't like the new version, I'll take him for a spin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tallulah Riley, she, she's all right with me. She just, she is subtle, but she gets it across. So, by the way, that I was, was a really interesting bit of uh, storytelling. As you notice how this whole scene opens with Teddy coming in on Dolores and Dolores is playing the piano. And, by the way, folks, Evan and Rachel Wood can really play the piano. Um, yeah. And uh, and we'll get to talking about later, but that other guy at the very last scene of this episode where Bernard walks into the uh, Mariposa, he's also playing the piano and it's shot in a very, very and staged in a very, very similar way. Bookends. And I think that's intentional. Oh, yes. yeah, that's got to be intentional. So anyway, so uh, creepy as fuck, Teddy. Really liked him. Uh, and I really love the subtlety in Evan Rachel Wood's performance. Like, you know, maybe we t- like tried to tune him a little too much, you know. Uh, yeah. But it, it didn't it didn't reduce her resolve. No, I oh, think. Oh, no she's adjusting to the new one because she knows exactly how the old one would react to everything. And maybe she's not so sure what the new one will do, or it's just still surprising. Even if she does have a pretty good idea, like, yeah, Teddy's going to be the one that caps this dude. And then it happens. Like, it's one thing to think that's what's going to happen. And it's another thing to watch it go down, whatever it is, when you think you might have somebody pegged and then, 
you know, and then like you've assumed the worst and then that's what happens is sometimes still really jarring. So I feel like maybe she's just trying to adjust because it's not what he would have done for as long as she's known him. The interesting thing, which I to thought, her is now a long time. Yeah, which to her is a long time. Uh, I I thought it was really interesting that there's a self awareness to Teddy in why he's doing things. You know, it's like when they're on the yes. train later on, and he, he said, "But you fixed that too." Ooh. And he digs at her a couple times. Yeah. Because then on the train at the end, he says, "Um, I never thought I'd want to leave." Right. And, you know, and it's it's a very similar conversation about how he's new and improved and she's why and he fucking knows it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and I feel like that's the that's the dangerous part about all of this, at least, you know, in terms of what Teddy's capable of now is that, you know, he is unhinged from his loops and he is used to having this conscience to guide him back around to staying in Sweetwater with Dolores or, you know, you know staying away from her just a little bit. So. They don't end up together. Um, and it, he, the governors are off. And so, you know, he, he is perfectly free just to like murder the crap trick. out of that security guy yeah, or like that, hand that the bullet trick. to the to the tech. Now, I, I got to say something on this. Like, uh, was Teddy really merciful? I mean, should he be, he just shot Phil back in Sweetwater to be merciful? <laughs> I well, mean, because I you mean, hand he, the guy a gun yeah. and a bullet. That's you're you're just fucking with the guy. Right. Well, yes and no. And, it, you know, the 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 concept of merciful suicide appears twice in this episode. Yes. It does. Uh, or I mean, you know, I mean, because and well, I guess it's really is it really merciful if you're required, required to commit seppuku? Um, but I think we're getting ahead of ourselves, um, <laughs> it, you know, in, in the but that that concept of the merciful death or death's mercy, generally speaking, is certainly a recurrent element this week more than I. Well, certainly, certainly and, uh, some of the things that Maeve uh, said and, and and let's jump to that. Uh, story oh, yeah. uh, next you know where uh one of the next big breaks is Maeve and um her entourage uh in um in, one in of the shogun creepiest, world yeah in shogun world in one of the creepiest openings i'm going like so are they still fighting this is the no this is the aftermath oh god <laughs> it's like yeah did all this carnage i mean it's grim and then you see Maeve with two katanas just uh, very artfully striped in blood. Uh, and then, if that's not creepy enough, there's a Kane, and I thought, and my sister thought the same thing, when she first um, went to work on Seguro, I guess, I, I thought she was committing uh, seppuku herself. You know, with I was 100% hmm. she was done. Yeah. And so, uh, but apparently she's, and we we didn't hear back from anybody from the reaction show i don't know if cutting out the heart of a beloved child to take it to its final resting place is something that was normally done in uh, the Edo period of japan but if it was those people are grim (laughs) yeah well i mean that that's kind of something that we've we've taken away from a lot of this i feel like um you know it's it's very interesting because if we look at all of season one versus all of season two i think that the thing that we have to um look at at least through the first six episodes of season two is that they have replaced all of the nudity 
community that was in season one with a whole hell of a lot of like really gory violence. And this week's episode kind of takes the cake there with the most beautiful sword fight um, that is so incredibly violent and gory. Um, it's not necessarily gratuitous because I, I really don't think that you can have a show about murdering um, sex robots um, and call anything gratuitous that appears therein. Um, but <laughs> the, the the sword fight that was well, there I- is the, is. Uh, is Stevensonian, if you'll let me borrow something from liter- from the literary world. Um, you know, you think about the sword fights in Snow Crash, and that was what yeah. we saw yeah, yeah. brought to life on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was really impressive. And once again, uh, Hiroyuki uh, Sonata as Masashi. Uh, and uh, I guess... Uh, Masayoshi Haneda as Tanaka. That was mm-hmm. just choreographed. I mean, I thought, oh my God, these actors, they're going to kill each other. You know, somebody's yeah. going somebody's to lose a hand. Ooh, I spoke too soon. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but for real, it was like every time I watched the episode, like, yes, I'm occasionally like, you know, taking a note or, um, or, you know, doing something like you know getting a refill of a beverage or something like while the episode is playing and i can't do anything while that's on because i'm so engaged in what's happening well and the uh the way in which they shot the the opening part of that scene the what mave is you know speaking to herself in japanese um with the subtitles is actually a zen koan um, mm-hmm. It's breathing in, breathing out, moving forward, moving back, living, dying, coming, going, like two arrows in mid-flight, meeting in the midst of nothingness. There is a road that leads to my true home. Oh, I, and I actually, isn't that, that a, is, isn't that a Connie that's saying that to? In the voice, uh, was room? that a Connie saying that yeah, to yeah. her? I kind of pictured it as Maeve's internal monologue. Oh, okay. I thought. I, I yeah, thought, I thought she was talking to herself, but I could. I. I, I could be wrong. I'm just as happy to. I am just as happy to uh, say that you're that. That's about that. That's a that's a right interpretation, Don. Um, and you're, would you're make a little right bit more sense the, than yeah than Maeve saying it. But you're right. Yeah. That's as in uh, Cohen. Several people on uh, Reddit also pointed that out uh, today. Finally, they caught up to you, Tom, because you you were telling me this what day before yesterday. And, well, and that was the scene that struck me. I mean, uh, that that entire uh, section that goes from the end of the the end of the the battle with the Shogun, all the way to um, the end of their time in Shogun World, um, was probably my favorite moment of this season. That's definitely my favorite beat in this season, um, because of what they actually talk about, which is the. I mean, if you think about the, what. what you know, Maeve has the option at that point, you know, when, when uh, Tanaka comes out of the uh, Mariposa or the Shogunate version of the Mariposa, um, she's, she could have used her robot magic at that point and, you know, essentially had, you know, more than just the two guards kill each other, Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, free everybody. But she's like, no, this should be a choice. This should be, there's free will here. And I find that concept to be both absolutely awesome and just a little bit creepy um, because these are people that are supposed to be on their loops. These are, these are, uh, these are programs, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if they are really free of their programming and that seems to be a theme that we could all um, 
spend hours and hours and hours talking about individually, uh, whether we are all three of our own individual programs. Um, I found that to be deeply touching. And, and of course, and of course uh, that's was, echoed again when they get to the uh, shrine at Snow Lake, where yes. essentially Akane repeats it back to Maeve. And not in a mean way and not in even an ironic way, but in a thankful way. Yes. I think she was just reminding her, like, yeah. yes, this is my decision to make, you know. But using Maeve's words to sort of underline that, I think. And, and I love that scene. It's so beautiful and it's so emotional and it's so infuriating because it means we're leaving and they're not going with us and we don't get any of them anymore. And yeah. so I... I don't know how because that was a very that was a it was a great way to start. I liked the story that we had there, and I liked the ending that we had there. But I really want to go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we still get we still get Ta, uh, Tao Akamoto as Hanario with her uh, cowgirl uh, uh, Japanese bow and arrow uh, garb. I mean, you and I'm not trying to derail or nothing, but I think that Japanese armistice and armistice are going to end up as a scorching couple. <laughs> I'd ship that. I'd ship that like that. I would totally put them on a boat. Yes. Um, oh, but, you, you know, the the the, the whole, uh, yes, it does make me sad that we are, are losing this part of things because I really love the Shogun world story so much more than any other part of this season that I, I feel like we got like an episode and a half of it. Or maybe mm-hmm. really, if, I, if I'm honest, three quarters of an episode of it. And uh, this was by far the best writing of the show. This was by far um, the best acting so far that we've seen. Um, and I just want to—I I just want to be in that space. I want to—it's not that I want to luxuriate in it because I feel mm. like you can wallow. Um, but the, yeah, just the—we the, learned more about where these um, consciousnesses are in their developmental cycle from those scenes than we have with almost anything that we've had well, with Dolores. And well, I don't like it nearly as much as you do, but I, I did like it a lot. But the other thing that we learned, and I have a question about this, is what the fuck is up with the Ghost Nation here? Because when yes. Akechida comes up, the, the Ghost Nation Braves, unlike Maeve's flashback, they're not actually attacking. They're not trying to kill... Uh, the new mom. They're not trying to kill right. Maeve and her daughter. They just want Maeve's attention. Yeah, and uh, yeah, well, and and the way in which they phrase uh, the way in which Akechita talks to Maeve and basically says we are meant for the same path uh, is that was that was another like oh oh I want to know more about that and then I was like God damn it. Put down the guns and stop shooting. Because <laughs> right? I, I, I feel like you're about to tell me the mystery, the answer to the mystery that I've been had, that we've all had about the Ghost Nation and what they actually mean. But it's only to the other hosts, what they mean to the human. Yeah, and I'm just like, come on, man, give us that little piece that we can work with here, because it was so frustrating to be without it, and I, I felt like that was the ultimate in. I have, I have dangling this in front of you, but I'm not giving it to you yet, and I was like, why you got to be like that? Don't make me cut you. <laughs> it was and, it was really frustrating because I couldn't I couldn't believe that knowing what she knew about them for him to say anything to her aside from you know got any last words like for him to have said literally anything else should have surprised her so much that she was like 
I'm listening. Like, I just... Because there was no violence this time through. Like, she... I, I feel like for all of her perceptions, she missed that they weren't actively attacking anybody. Well, right. They weren't chasing... Also... They weren't after her. They weren't after new mom. They weren't after the kid. They weren't... Like, they were just... They showed up to talk to her and you know there were no weapons drawn or anything and i get the ptsd of it like completely but at the same time like he also said something to her and then for her reaction to just be your road leads to hell you know i felt i felt bad for them for i felt bad because like tom like then i was mad i, I was bet. like Maeve, why aren't you yep. paying attention and then i was like god damn it because now i don't get an answer either yeah yeah well i bet because the episode title is Kiksuya, which I uh, I believe um, uh, is in their language. Um, that's episode eight. I believe we're going to get a Ghost Nation centric episode in episode eight. I'll, uh, I'll uh, gosh, I'll I hope some, so. I put some money on that. So you're going to have to wait two more episodes, Tom, to try. Ah! <laughs> but you know we only got four more episodes in the season and you know uh and and then it's senility for we'll, me before we'll be we okay to, tom we'll yeah, be okay before we get to season yeah. three and i i feel like um the uh, i i definitely think that episode six is by far I, it's my favorite episode of the season so far and i i find myself um and I'm not going to say I, I feel like frustrated is the wrong word, but I feel like I'm bound up. I want to know where the story goes, and I don't feel like I'm getting enough movement episode to episode for any one story to latch onto it. And I'm supposed to keep these three balls up in the air at the same time when I don't oh, necessarily know the where they're all going. There's, oh, there's hey, I'm with you. <laughs> I just you know I I think here I, I think here about the three main plot strains that we have at this point, which is you know William and now his daughter. Um, we have Maeve and her band of merry men, and then we have Dolores and her army. Well, yeah, and I, I we but, also have the you know we've we also, also got a few, a few other his, elements. His oh yeah, so right, and in I I feel like we don't get one enough of any one of them at any given time. Well, how would you compare that to, to really have one, it though, Tom? Yeah, I, I, I feel same, like right? the payoffs, the the the, the 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 payoffs were a little bit different in season one, and because we I, I, we know the world now, and we were getting yes. enough world building during season one that it still felt like we were getting a good amount of information, even if it wasn't necessarily plot advancement. We were still getting a lot of stuff. That's how that works. That's what those are doing. Oh. This is the agenda. That's what those are up yeah. to even if that wasn't necessarily character advancement. And now I know what the world is. I know how the world generally operates. I know who these people are. I know what their deal is. And that's the part I want to advance because you don't have the world building to really give me as much anymore. Well, we get a lot of world building. I mean, we get two whole new worlds, the Raj and Shogun world. This Barely. A lot, of, a lot of world building. We also yeah, got I, I... lots of depth in the past, both in episode two and reunion and we find out we found out how like the whole project started really uh we've got the whole backstory by episode four about what the secret one of the secret projects at delos is mm -hmm. i mean this and season... i'm i'm trying hard to with, withhold my judgment but i definitely find myself as someone who loves good story um frustrated with the way in which 
this one has been told to date. Now, I'm not going to be, I, I definitely withhold judgment until the story's been told, right? I mean, we're, we're at 60% through. We've got four episodes left to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot that they could do to pay off everything that they've done so far. And I, I'm very interested to see where they're going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find myself saying um, it a little bit less of this season than last. Um, and you know, I, I don't necessarily think that that's a knock on what they're trying to do because I don't know what they're trying to do yet. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know that you, that's always the thing that worries me because, you know, we have to, we have to account for Bridges laws, of, uh, you know, Bridges law of science fiction, which is when anything is possible, nothing is interesting. And I fear that <laughs> they are getting to the point where they won't be able to pay off everything that they've written checks for. Okay, and okay, usually okay, that's fine there, to this, a point. This, is, this show is not lost. This, what you <laughs> described there is lost in a nutshell. Uh, and I invested a lot. My wife and I invested a lot in Lost. And we have got a lot of, of checks uh, that were not cashed. Uh, I mean, a whole stack. Yes. And what I feel with this show is I... I got a nice bounty at the end of episode one, just or rather the end of season one, just with that season alone. And I'm pretty sure Nolan and Joy uh, are, are going to be paying dividends at the end of this season, but they're going to set us up for more. I mean, uh, they're, you know, they got a five year plan. I really believe it. And uh, I hope they're so. not just um, making up new plot devices to entice people. Because I think with some of the structures of the episodes and the the nonlinear way they're telling the story, they don't give a shit, right? They're in it for the, – the story for them is the whole season, right? That's why they have, you know, the themes. First one was um, – uh, what was the first one? Shit. This one's the door. The first one was – why am I gapping? Oh, it's on the DVD box and now I can't – the maze. The maze. First one was a maze. This one is the door. So they they've got the grand plan. I know they're gonna they're gonna pay uh, their payoff. Uh, I hope so. I, be, I, I I believe them with the quality of the episode so far. The other thing is is I like it when I'm surprised, when I'm annoyed, when things don't go the way I wanted them to. Right. I mm-hmm. love that kind of storytelling. And this episode was doing that in spades with both Dolores and Teddy uh, and Maeve. And then with William and uh, Emily, our next little uh, segment here, I thought some of the best dialogue in this episode was actually between those two. Carly Ray, she wrote this episode. She co-wrote episode two with Jonathan Nolan. Her dialogue with William and Emily was just you know, you have you have to be a dad with an older kid to, <laughs> to know this one, and it was like just stabs in uh, the heart, oh, yeah. and also funnier than hell. Uh, and um, I thought, you know, and I wondered there for a little bit, what's William really going to do? And, yeah. and this was the time when I actually saw Ed Harris channeling jimmy simpson did you notice that how Mm -hmm. so the the softness some of the ticks other things like that 
you know, he's talking to his kid. It's going to be a little gentler. I, I just, I thought, you know, this is not the hard ass man in black that we're seeing here. So I just, well, I and, thought it was great. So on, on speaking of that conversation, I really want to put a, that's not a thing. I want to get Kelly pointing at the, at this conversation and saying, that's not a thing because I've seen a lot of people kind of speculate that um, Ed Harris forgetting um, that it was the daughter who, who, who uh, was, uh, and I'm like, no, no, that is a, He's that a is dad. a dad who is not, <laughs> yeah, uh, he, that is a dad who was not paying very close attention then remembers it wrong. Um, now, see, and I've I feel been like that dad. When I when I watched that and I wrote this down, that um that means something. I just don't know what. And whether it's Oh my god, William's a host. You know, because I know that's where Reddit went or, with it. Oh my god, and probably Emily's a host. No, and, uh, or more, yeah. No, the, um, the, this week the way, they're on Emily being a host. Last week was William being a host. Last week was William. Okay. So <laughs> I know it means something, but the conclusion that I came to was that when this happened, when she was very young, like in my brain, when she says when I was a kid, like what I think of is that party where Dolores was playing piano. So when she says when I was a kid, that's where my head goes because we saw her as a kid at that moment. And so I think of her being very small and so we're still getting William, not the man in black, really, at that point. He hasn't full-fledged gone down that path yet. And so it felt to me like he was just so hung up on the park that what he remembered was somebody freaked out about elephants and assumed it was her. And so he really did just legit remember wrong because he wasn't paying much attention. Yeah, that's all because whole thing. we've, he's, as he's we've well established, not a great dad when she was small. Yeah, yeah, and he's admitted he's he's not a great dad. And, yeah, and he's talked last season about how unplugged he was from his whole family. Right, so, and so I feel like yes, that it does mean something, but I think that's what it means. I don't think it's any more yeah, complex I, I, than yeah. that. Oh, I I completely agree. I completely agree. What's what I think is going to end up being the surprising thing in that conversation that we're going to find out later is that the, I think the thing that struck me about that conversation is that it was so honest between the two of them. Yes. That's why I love it. I mean, it was very, very honest, but I still feel like both of them are holding something back from the other for whatever reason, for whatever it is. Cause remember, she's still got a notebook full of stuff that we oh, haven't I seen again. I completely agree. So and we know that he straight up ditched her in the nighttime. So yeah, he fucking lied yep. to her. So, yeah, so we know what her? he was holding back, which is there's not a chance, a snowball's chance in the Raj that I'm going with you. So we we found that out already. But and the, then but the question is is he did he lie to her and ditch her to just ditch her or to protect her or because Ford has told the that he's got to play the game alone. And he's afraid of something actually happening to her. Like the shit See, that Ford has pulled before. All I know is that he did it. And at ah. this point, I'm not a, the, the why I can't really debate yet because I don't know enough of what else is going on with him to know for sure. But I, the, the part that interests me is what she's up to and what, yes. why, 
why she's holding back what she's doing because we know what his deal is like we got a lot of it in season one we got even more this season yeah like we know his deal we we are absolutely sure you know and like you know they they said something about uh leaving together in the morning or something like that you know and i'm and and he said something along the lines of yeah i will i'm like no you won't like i'm yelling at the tv no you won't (laughs) and and sure enough he didn't so you know she woke up and i'm like you're by yourself and okay so she told wasn't totally alone but basically and kelly i find it hard to believe that you yell at your tv (laughs) i know as weird as i couldn't even say that without laughing (laughs) i know i really i know how weird that sounds but it totally happened in this case because i felt so strongly um so like for me this season uh emily is one of the two characters i am the most curious about uh it's her so like her and Stubbs are neck and neck right now oh yeah could do we want well, to talk a little bit about yeah, what yeah, let's talk about Stubbs and hill that's that's next on the... and slightly behind them is charlotte because yeah. tom and i are on the same theory train when it comes to charlotte i yeah, think we'll get to that in a little bit but Stubbs. <laughs> This was yeah. Don waved was... at that train as it left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying I'm not saying yeah, that's a okay. that's a right solution. I'm just saying that's a big ass coincidence. Yeah, that, I yeah. think it's terribly interesting. We'll get I'm to that when we get to crazy you... ass theory yeah, time. Yeah, I'm going to shame you too with that later on. Anyway, Stubbs, this Please. was a Stubbs centric episode. I think. I mean, he got a lot of time. He did. And frankly, that man got a lot of shit too. Oh, so, so much. I, here's what I think. And also based on data from the ARG, uh, yes. that because uh, when you go in and log into the ARG now at the, at the website, you're not talking to Aiden anymore. You're actually talking to Ford, and he admits it was him the entire time. We'll get to why that is at the end of this episode. But Ford says very nice things about Ashley Stubbs. So... Um, uh, I, I think the quote from the ARG is a, there's a, there's a good head on that man's shoulders or something like that. Mm-hmm. But Stubbs got so much shit from everybody at uh, Delos, right? Mm-hmm. Not just Charlotte, but I mean the new character who's no all the way down. Coughlin. Every time a new dude shows up, he just shows up to hate on Ashley for a little while and then go on about his business. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like the third person who's been like, yeah, fuck you, Ashley. Yeah, so this we got is my real theory. work to do. This is my theory, and we'll talk more about why this is uh, because of the reveal at the end of the episode when we talk about the trailer, uh, is that I think this is setting Stubbs up to be on team host. You know, almost yes. like... Uh, oh, like... I'm 100% with you. When they, when they took Abernathy into the lab, yeah. In that moment, I'm like, yes, he's. But that's he's quite a bit sides. Of a, that's quite a bit of a turn from where he was with uh, Elsie and the Stray, and you know when he was mm-hmm. ready to wrench his head off, or in the first episode when they go down to sub level eighty three, and uh, somebody uh, you know talks about the uh, the water and everything else, and the door yeah. opens and climate says, control. Yeah, but nobody's complained. Right. Yeah. So he's not exactly host friendly then. So I think it's interesting what Stubbs journey has been through this. He's seen all this carnage. He's seen friends die, but he still thinks what the Delos people are doing is unreasonable. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really good. Also, Hale, 
Charlotte, I would not want to get in an argument match with that woman. I just feel like I would just get humiliated. (laughs) (laughs) She's, she's sharp. Oh, God. It's like, just take those barbs out, lady. Man, uh, I just don't like messing with her. So, um, but the, the other folks, you know, you look at, uh, I know people who watch the episode, um, sp- uh, the television series sparingly, they're going to get confused about the difference between QA security, QA security, mm-hmm. uh, strand and company who doesn't show up for like another two weeks. And now Coughlin and company who shows up in the middle. Like, aren't these mm-hmm. all like, you know, mercenary Delo- uh, uh, Delos security personnel? No, all three completely different, right? And yep. what they want yes. to do is completely different. So um, uh, I thought that was interesting. And I frankly, uh, uh, the guy playing Coughlin did a great job of playing the belligerent know-it-all asshole. Uh, and we oh, know we know from last episode, remember one of his assistants, she said, oh, I've got the whatever it online, the map online. The map. Mm-hmm. And I see her, her face. We know from the previous episode, episode five, when we're in the two week timeline uh, with Strand and company that she's laying dead on the floor in the control room. So some shit's going to go down in the control room sometime well, in the next week. I'm fairly sure that's where we see Bernard uses P90 and yeah. you know, that's where we get the flashback from um, because yeah. now we've got all the people together, right? Because the other pieces of this is um, you know, Bernard and Elsie are down in the cradle as the train comes in and, you know, Rex, you know, blows up uh, in it just inside the, the Mesa. So, I mean, we've got all the pieces together for that and it strikes me. I mean, of course, Obviously, there's always the trailer uh, for next week. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot that's that, that, that we've seen out of Bernard that, that we haven't seen yet and uh, or that we've gotten flashes of or moments of. And one of the things that I thought that they used incredibly effectively in episodes one and two is that Bernard is a little bit unstuck from his memory loop, um, except right now he's not. And I'm not sure if that's just the repair job that we've gotten from Elsie for now, but he seems to be unstuck from his memories in the future as well. So I'm kind of hoping that we get an answer as to why he's unstuck and then and then not and then unstuck again. So I'm hopeful that that's not something that they have forgotten. Let's back up and talk about Bernard and Elsie. So where we pick them up, they're walking down the train tracks and we saw those train tracks uh, in the present latest time frame two episodes ago when future Bernard is walking down the, uh, the train tracks with Strand and company, and they're entering the same uh, place. They're entering uh, through where the train goes to Sweetwater, right? And now right. we know from uh, some of the season two trailers, when we see Bernard coming through, uh, you know, the door, what we didn't see enough from those trailers is that Elsie was following right behind him. So they come in through that, uh, that same place. And El- I love the dynamic between Elsie and Bernard and the super sweet thing that Bernard says to her as they're walking in. And even though 
Elsie is freaked out that Bernard is a host and is still pissed at him in a way for, you know, shackling uh, her in that cave with a bucket and protein bars. <laughs> yes. She's like all for work. And I thought one of the funniest subtle things, you know, when they go into the lab and they're trying and they figure out, you know, that the problem is the cradle and there's just fucking dead people everywhere. And it isn't until they walk into the cradle server room that Elsie says, Oh, this place is so creepy. Mm-hmm. Jesus, they had to like dodge, mm-hmm. you know, a dozen dead people to get in there. So uh, I I thought that was a subtle dig on, you know, what makes us uneasy. But uh, the dynamic there is really interesting. I thought it was great that Bernard, you know, Elsie is better at that kind of analysis, quick analysis stuff than he is. Right. And he's letting her do that. Mm-hmm. And he's standing around ready to protect her with that uh, uh, that rifle, which my sister knew exactly what the make and model of that was. And I did not know. But she, was in, <laughs> but she was in the army, so she knows that shit. Well, uh, I really enjoyed the two of them. Like, I always like watching them, but I really did enjoy that moment when he, he said to her, if anyone can write this ship through sheer force of will to you. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Yeah, like, I heard him say that, and I'm like, you know, like, I hope someday I can be that the Elsie when I grow up. Yeah. Because... That was like a neat assessment of her. So I I really liked that. And I really like the sort of really strange team up that they are now because she's still doing a really awesome freaking out that her boss is a robot. And we know that she's analytical right down to the bone because the first thing she said when she found out was, but you rotated out. Where did you go when you rotated out? Yeah. Yeah. And the, there's, there's something that I really love about that compliment that he gave her because to be like that, you know, life affirming compliment. And we've all got them in our life. Every, every, everyone, every person out there has gotten a compliment at one point in their life. They will always remember. And for me, I was on a Hungarian hillside outside of Budapest in a, in a vineyard on a college trip. And the vintner said something to our translator who translated it as, um, if our boys had stood on legs like yours, we never would have fallen to the Russians. And, you know, you keep that. Right. And, and, and Nicole Cliff, who's one of my favorite people on Twitter, had a great thread about this not too long ago where everybody kind of came back with their favorite compliments that they've ever received. And I have to think that that was one of Elsie's. Um, and it, yes. it's it's such a great moment. Yeah. And there were so many little interesting character uh, character bits like that. And when they go into the cradle and Bernard decides what to do and he has the flash, you know, I've been here before. I brought something here or or someone. someone, Yeah. And again, as weird as it is, I yelled at the TV or both. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And we see him flashing back to when he was in um, uh, the Protagoras lab where Ah! James Dellis was in the drone, the creepy as fuck drone host. And he's picking up the red ball and putting it in his pocket. And again, I go to the ARG where Ford, uh, talks on the ARG about what, uh, where he's been and how, and talks about uh, uh, something so easy that Bernard could just put it in his pocket. So it's obvious, you know, that 
it's building for Ford. And then we have the thing where how Bernard tried. And I didn't know this. I talked about this in the reaction show. I thought it was just like a tinfoil hat they put on and, you know, uh, you magically got brainwaves. No, they have to wrench out your brain and not just the nice little holder that it's in. The actual cue ball that has to yes. be taken out. And I love how... The trackball itself. Yeah, the trackball They track pop it out of your head. Yeah, to clean it. And uh, haven't we all done that? And uh, I love how uh, Elsie says, yeah, but but Bernard, your, your head is the same as mine. You, you know, that's built for uh, a first generation host with a fully articulated skull. And I love the little details about the age of the park and the progress of the technology and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Anyway, he goes inside and now... Well, hold on, though. That was another moment because then she – because her reaction is we didn't – I didn't get to turn your pain down. Yeah. So that's her caring for him after – you know, because she still feel. I think she feels a little differently about him knowing how much he values her. And she can't help herself but value him and – remember that they haven't turned his pain down yet and he's like oh yeah it's no problem we'll just pop the top off my head i'll just try to remember that it's code yeah you know what they so, say pain is just a program yeah pain is oh just a my program. god i accidentally signed up for a 5k today and i'm going to be repeating that to myself a lot <laughs> you know if that doesn't get put on a shirt by some industrious human being i should probably get around to that in about an industrious days. human being who makes like shirts for people to be sweaty in that needs to be like Under Armour or somebody <laughs> that makes the shirt that says, hey, I, pain is just a program. I'd but settle then, for Cotton Bureau, man. Yeah, well. Ooh. But when he goes in and he wakes up in the train, what's <laughs> at the top? Tom, put me down for one of those shirts. Yeah. What's at the top and bottom of the screen? Black bars. Black bars. It's letterboxed. And then it's all of a sudden, da-da. <laughs> now we understand the opening to uh, this episode, and we understand the opening of episode one of season To the two. season, yeah. Because letterboxed, and by the way, it's not anamorphic widescreen. That's the wrong nomenclature, because they didn't shoot it in anamorphic widescreen. If you say anamorphic widescreen, you're trying to sound smart, but you're an asshole. It's just letterboxed. <laughs> Don is going to come to your house, and he's going to thump you. Yes. So, Hi, is Jimmy here? <laughs> oh, you're Jimmy? Thump! It's not anamorphic widescreen! Okay, bye. Yes. Uh, so it's just letterboxed. He's box. retired. He's got the kind of time. I wouldn't test him. I, I, and Jimmy, I, I really do know how to thump. So, uh, <laughs> so it's letterbox. So we know those scenes, Dollars and Donuts, those are going to wind up being with Dolores and Bernard. Because I don't think it's Arnold anymore i think nolan and joy are doing the classic uh christopher and jonathan switcheroo that they've done so on on their movies because remember first season we thought the scenes with uh dolores and arnold were really scenes with dolores and bernard because we didn't know what arnold looked like until episode eight right right they're doing it to us again. Those aren't Dolores and Arnold. Those are Dolores and Bernard. Why it's Bernard, we don't know yet. But that's got to be fucking Bernard. And I think that... Uh, well, and she's coaching him. It's. I think it's a simulation. 
Well, yeah, but here's the thing that, that we, based on the description of the cradle, the cradle exists in phase space. Phase space is, uh, like I, I talked in the reaction show, it's all the possibilities at all the times. Mm-hmm. Remember how Dolores says, we've done these fidelity tests countless times? She yeah. could do all of these tests in the hour that Bernard is in the cradle. Yes. Because... You know, infinite possibilities. Mm-hmm. That, uh, but also, we found out that that's the function of the cradle is to do all the park simulation stuff. Like they go feed every, all the storylines and stuff there to make sure like this one isn't going to collide with that one, or like you know how all of that stuff fits together so that everything in the park works with each other the way that it's supposed to, and you don't well, end up with colliding storylines and stuff. So I always, so I assumed. That's what this was, was just some of that simulating. Now, the question is whether or not it's happening this minute after we see Elsie put Bernard in the cradle or whether or not it's something that happened before Bernard was ever let out. Exactly. And that's my thought. And that's my thought, because I, I think that Dolores speaking there with Ford's voice um, and that essentially um, that's not Dolores's Dolores. Dolores, um, that is Ford is Dolores in a Dolores suit um, and speaking in the simulation. And so that, you know, they're trying to get Bernard or I'm sorry. They're, yeah, they're trying to get Bernard ready Bernard. based on Arnold's consci- consciousness. And mm-hmm. that's what that's And she's from. one of the oldest. So she's okay. seen everything. Yes. Uh, yeah. And okay. she knows who Arnold is and Bernard's relation because she's giving Bernard instruction on how to be more Arnoldy. Yeah. Remember from episode five when, uh, Ford uh, pulls uh, Dolores out of Pariah for the checkup, and he says, "Nobody remembers those times like uh, we do. Nobody knows him like we do." But I'm going to disagree with both of you because okay. I don't think it happened earlier because there would be no Bernard personality. They would have they would have figured it out, Arnold. I think it happens later because I think the guy, based on his behavior, that wakes up in the beach in episode one of season two, a week later, that guy ain't acting like Bernard. That guy is perhaps acting like a very confused Arnold. Ooh. See? Oh, okay. So I don't think it happened in the past. I also don't think it's Ford through Dolores. Maybe they're working together. But I think this is all part of Dolores' plan. Remember how she has told Teddy and told others, I know how this story ends. I know what's going to happen. And how does she know? Because she remembers the last time she was in the cradle. Mm -hmm. She knows how it works. She knows that if she's separated from that copy of herself, and it is a copy she knows what she wants it to do. Dolores is as much of a puppet master as Ford is. Now, yes. I could get with that. So, that's my th- I like your theory. <laughs> let's let's talk from well, let's talk about some theories cuz we're we're well, in the Well, we didn't get to the now. end of the episode. Because <laughs> I've I've got it written in my notes. I said, okay, look, let's hear it. look, look, it's a brand new Ford Fairlane that yeah. <laughs> we're where Bernard so gets off the on. gets off the. Train. I know the right answer here is Glenn, but yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, 
the thing that I want to that that I want to point out about the end of the episode is that we see Ford playing piano. And we saw Dolores play the same piano at the beginning of the episode. And the reason that that's interesting to me is because, first of all, I couldn't name that tune. And so I'm, I went on a quest to find out what it was. And I don't think anybody knows what tune that was. And I, re- I think I'm, I'm continuing to stand by my reaction in the, by my assessment in the reaction show, which is they are improvising. Right, because it plays uh-huh. exactly to what... Elsie says when she's looking at what's going on in the cradle, somebody's improvising, right? Mm-hmm. And improvisation exactly. was the one of the keys to uh, Arnold's uh, pyramid of solving consciousness. It's one of the steps. I completely agree with you, Kelly. It's an yeah. I think I'm. I'm well because we. I wrote it down because we saw it again because Elsie talks about how it seems like the cradle is improvising, and. Uh, my really not at this point all that crazy of a theory is that if Ford is the ghost in the machine, I think uh, Tom had a note about how at the end of season one, Ford said somebody said a really nice thing about composers, and it wasn't that they died so much as they became music. The problem for Ford is that he can't become music because, as he himself said in an earlier version, everything here is code. So he didn't die. He just became code. Yeah. So exactly. I, from the beginning of this season, I, I was under the impression he was the ghost of the machine. And I think this just confirmed that. Yeah, yeah. we we actually and talked that about that. We talked about that in, um, uh, I can't remember if it was the episode one or the episode three show. Well, it was the one with uh, Elazo, right? Episode three, right? Yeah. Where the man in black meets Elazo. And uh, yeah, totally ghost in the machine. Totally goes to the machine. And now we get the complete justification for that. I also want to note that the hello old friend is the same thing that Ford said in Bernard's memory, his very first memory of waking up. Yes. When he looks at the slightly younger Ford. Yeah. Hello old friend. Yes. So this is what I mean that I'm not worried about Nolan and Joy and getting stiffed with no play uh payoff no i don't think as we're gonna i've said get many times before these people are playing three-dimensional chess and everybody else can't even find the fucking checkers they <laughs> they have got this one wired there are so many there are triple call quadruple callbacks to thing this is mm. so intricate i my head wants to explode sometimes. And much like at the end of this episode, when I'm looking at the dog and I thought, it's a dog. It's not a wolf. I thought there'd be a wolf. Nope. Oh, fuck. That's it's Jock. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, my God. Yes. Yes. And so uh, how, God, how do you how do you plan ahead for all that shit? How do you write a story that complicated? I mean, Jesus. So it's many post-its on such a big wall. That's all yeah. I got. It's, it's, well, you know, that is exactly what Lisa Joy said they did. They filled <laughs> an entire room with post-its. Her I'm not surprised and, in the least. Uh, jo- uh, uh, Jonah did that. She actually took a picture of it. So uh, 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 so they, they would have a record of doing that stunt. But that's what mm-hmm. they did to map out uh, the five-year wow. plan and, and just the fir- uh, whole first season, the same thing. 
because wow. it was so you know it's a it's a puzzle box and I love it I love that aspect of the show and I love being delighted by uh, that and you know they just really snuck it up on us I mean um, Sir Tony is not in the upfront credits he's not in the back end no. credits. And my theory, by the way, I'm going to have to check with somebody from the Screen Actors Guild on this, but I think the reason they showed him in this episode as a reflection, just like they did in episode two, Reunion, mm-hmm. uh, is that they that would allow Tony to waive the uh, credit. Because I don't think he really cares about that. Because it's not actually him. But it also keeps him from showing up at the beginning of the episode before he right. shows up at the end of the episode. Right. Exactly. So, so, and so we'll see him in the credits next week is almost certainly my guess. Oh, yes. And mm-hmm. sh- shall we talk about that? Uh, hey, folks, I want to give Kelly a chance to perhaps say something about tra- uh, trailers for the next uh, episode. <laughs> Kelly. You... Well, we're going to talk about it. So here you go. Um, Honk. Well, I have a, my stance is that if it was broadcast through an official channel and particularly because it's Westworld, it's not like it's going to be a big reveal. You know, the sneaky peeky from last week didn't show us Ford's reflection in the player piano, you know? So, um, so we talk about it because uh, it was officially broadcast and there's never been a moment where they told us anything that ruined the episode next week. So when that happens, we'll stop doing it. Um, and I'll be hugely disappointed that I got inadvertently spoiled by the show itself because I love it so much. But um, until then, we're going to talk about them. So there you go. Um before let's let's talk about it for a second because mostly um like i was i think i was still honestly even you know the second and third time through i think i'm still hung up on ford's reveal so i didn't pay a whole lot of attention to what we saw except for one thing which was the huge payoff from i don't remember which trailer it was where i promptly freaked out about um the room full of nard dogs Oh, yeah, they're serving Nard Dogs, but not only to Charlotte this time. They got a whole plate of them, but Stubbs and Bernard himself is just outside the room in the door. It's well, like and a I always thought bird. it was Bernard surveying a room of Bernard's, right. which is why it exploded my head when I watched it the well, first time uh, through. Because in my brain, he was seeing a room full of himself, and that seems like it would be hard on somebody, robot or not. Yeah, well, yeah. If you ever see being John Malkovich, you know how that goes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, but here's the thing I'd like to point out. So, if Stubbs is in there, right, and he mm-hmm. sees this room full of Nard dogs, it's you know they're going to figure out this episode that Bernard is a host, right? So, if he knows well, the host, Stubbs is going to, which might be part of his story that we're going to finally get some payoff on. Yes, because uh, we know a week from that point. Because we saw it in the first episode, Stubbs is the one who greets uh, Bernard Old or whoever mm-hmm. the hell it is on and, the beach and says yes. and tells Mei Ling, "Hey, hey, you're going to shoot the boss." So yeah. either he's covering for Bernard because he's a host sympathizer, or because he likes Bernard, uh, or there's something even screwier going on, right? I've well, even part of me hopes. 
part of me hopes that we also get a payoff. You know, if we're going to reach back to episode one, is the cards, the the red cards that Meling is holding. Um, that were kind of, you know, they're obviously supposed to be referential of the, you know, the deck of cards that they would print in Iraq looking for bath party members. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that's what that's the flashback that I had. For them. And so it kind of makes me wonder um, what that signifies, because we have that, that that particular piece hasn't ever been revisited. And so I feel like I almost wonder if they know a bit about what happened in that control room. And that what that's what makes Bernard a high target, you know, a high priority target. For so well, I also think it, going back to my theory that, uh, by the way, on those cards, did you notice it said Bernard high and you know, high yes. value, and his name is low? Just mm-hmm. thought that was funny. Yeah. Anyway, it goes back. To my th- <laughs> it goes back to my theory uh, because everybody keeps asking, "Why did Bernard repeat uh, Strand's line or say it?" At because the same I need time? to know this so badly. I know the I'm reason, not everybody, but I'm one of those people. The reason why my prediction is that Dolores and Ford ran in through this fucking scenario in the simulator multiple times. That's also why at the end of this, that episode one, he says, I killed them. Remember mm-hmm. how in the trailer says yeah. one scene you see of Ford, something is going to happen and it's not your fault. But obviously knowing Bernard and Arnold, this is a man who takes, who blames himself unnecessarily for a lot of things. I think what's going on is he's not surprised by what's going on that beach. And the reason why we see some hosts being slain out of order is Bernard has been on this beach being woken up in the cradle multiple times. And we're seeing flashes of those memories. Hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about that one. How about you, Tom? I I feel like the, the... We don't know what we don't know yet. And mm-hmm. it, it, I find it so hard to theory craft when I feel like we've got um, crafty storytellers that don't want that, that want us to come to, to false conclusion. Um, so that <laughs> oh. they can subvert our expectations. Yes. Um, and I, so will, I, I will I, agree I with Tom be, 100% on that one. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. And so, I mean, I try not to get, because I feel like that is in some ways manipulative. Um, mm-hmm. And then again, it's a job. It's a writer's job to do that. So I don't begrudge them that. That's not a negative, um, a, you know, aphorism there. Um, the the theory craft behind all of it is I just want to see where the story goes. And I want to see what they're up to. Mm-hmm. And as someone who has played alternate reality games since they were invented um, in two thousand one, um, I struggle with theory craft when the story's already written. It's just it hasn't been shown to you yet. And I feel like Westworld is a particularly good example of they know where they're going and they're trying to subvert our expectations at every possible turn that there's only so far we can get, um, you know, well, making thing, guesses based on what we've seen so far. Right. And the other thing is that um, they've got the the Reddit hive mind on their asses all the time. That's why they, you know, they right. – they did the uh, Rick Astley never give you up video, which, by the way, we now know where the footage in the beginning with Bernard on the train and walking through Sweetwater comes from. They actually gave us real footage in the first 30 seconds of that video. They mm-hmm. didn't show it letterboxed, but, you know, we know where <laughs> it came from. But it was that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I agree with you, Tom. Uh, they are trying to uh, subvert it because, you know, they have 
an entire um, uh, what's the crowdsourced AI working on this show to try to figure it out before they can let us know. Talk about pressure, Jesus. Sure. Oh, well, for and, sure. You know, if they, if they want to uh, if they want to seek some solace. Um, I'd recommend that they give Sean Stewart a call. Um, he he lives in Southern California and, you know, wrote all of the initial interactions for a game called The Beast, um, which was oh, in prep yeah. for the movie AI. Um, and, you know, it, the work that they did, they thought they had so much extra in the tank. And turns out um, they're smart but their audience was just as smart as they were. And in some cases, a little bit creepy and a very, very dedicated. Um, and I suspect that <laughs> that is very much the case for the audience in Westworld, because it certainly, I certainly feel a lot of the same twigs um, towards my emotions uh, and towards what they're trying to do. And so I, I also try to just let them, let them unfold the story in, in the way in which they want to unfold it. And yeah, it's a puzzle box, but the thing is you're never going to crack it without them. And so the, uh, the, the adventures that we have as part of this week after week after week, and it's why I can't get too invested in any one theory, um, is the exploration of those issues as it unfolds and looking for the layers and essentially appreciating them for where they occur. Because, you know, the other fun thing is, you know, we, we talked a lot about the music of season one um, in, the, over the last summer. Uh, and I'm really psyched to uh, see what they do with the rest of the music from this season um yeah, but we haven't seen the heart shaped box from the trailer in no the we haven't and i want to know you know we may not oh, and, and i i almost i almost wonder if, if that's the the kind of thing that they threw out there as as part of the trailer just to build excitement because the, so much of what they've been doing with the with the music this season has been atmospheric and again ramin jawadi i my goddamn hero um, because the work that he has put into uh, the score is absolutely present. And this is somebody who already wrote a killer score for something like, you know, uh, Game of Thrones. And I feel like he has surpassed himself with the score for Westworld. And, you know, he keeps coming back to the um, element that's in the main theme where he switches back and forth between triplets and straight rhythm um, in that ascending pattern that, you know, it's about tw- it's about two thirds of the way through the main opening theme where he's working through scales and he just he throws in that extra note just to catch you off your rhythm because mm-hmm. the, you know, the difference between five eighths and, you know, six triplets is just enough to kind of make you to kind of push you just a little bit and it just kind of catches you so you fall back on your back foot just a little in the scoring of the piece and he's done that time and time and again through subverting um you know through subverting the, his own work and essentially saying okay look so the, i'm going to turn the mariposas theme into something that will fit in shogun work and i will compose the you know a, a version of seven nation that runs uh, uh with the sitars and so his work with or the score has absolutely, that a geisha could yeah to. Oh, yep, man. that's right. And so, you know, you look at all of the different pieces there. And then, of course, they go to, you know, works that exist. I mean, I, I think that it's hysterical that Dolores is playing The Man I Love by Gershwin as, um, you know, she looks at William. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, um, you know, we also get uh, the uh, Clementine, uh, Angela Serafian, um, 
playing the Rachmaninoff prelude in C-sharp minor, which is you know, a, a hugely interesting piece to be put up against this thing that makes Delos into Delos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because, I mean, that's the work that made Rachmaninoff's career. It's the first thing he sold after music school. It, it you know, I mean, he could have retired off of, um, you know, off of that eventually. I mean, obviously, you know, you're looking at the Russian patronage system for music. So, There's no real so concept all of, of royalty. inside jokes, and, right? They're all inside jokes. They're all attention to detail. There's theory. There's 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 a craftsmanship to all of that. And I can't be sure that the, you know the music supervisor on the show was like, oh yeah, I'm going to put this here because this makes sense because of these connections to uh, what Rachmaninoff's career is. But I'm going to enjoy and pretend that that's exactly what they intended to do because it gives me a lot of um, internal meaning. And, you know, I know we keep going back and forth to no frame is wasted. And part of me wonders if how much of that is us getting ahead of ourselves and assigning meaning to things that are meaningful to us that may or may not be meaningful to joy and to um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Nolan. And I I, I feel like there are um, chances for that where things get to be a little bit uh, ambiguous. Well, and I, I'm really hopeful to see episode four where the intro where a lot of us thought yeah. it was an homage to uh, lost uh, season two, episode one intro with Desmond. <laughs> and Lisa Joy said no, because no, she, she'd never. That's not a thing because she'd never seen the show. So I do think we impose our own experiences and worldview on it. But like you said, that's OK. You're going to do it anyway. Because it means well, something to you, right? Everybody's going to bring their own stuff to it, whatever that is. Oh, of course. So somebody else gets a completely different read on that episode because of some something that they know about Roxy Music or something that they know about uh, that, that particular Rolling Stones song or about the Rolling Stones in general or whatever. So you're going to get those, like, anyway. And so, you know, and, like all the stuff that we talk about here, like, you know, it's all stuff that we bring to it from whatever it is that we, that we know in whatever capacity that might be. So that to me is a thing that's um, interesting. So we're going to get that no matter what. Now I want to talk real quick about Tom and I have a theory. Oh yeah, sure. That we're sort of, that we sort of enjoy. And that is that um, Charlotte for people who, who are familiar with that name may know that occasionally a nickname for someone named Charlotte is, what is it, Tom? Charlie. Yeah. You know, the, the, I feel the, like the, we've heard that uh, name before. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> there, there's there, – there, I, I just want to see what they do with it. I just want to see if that's a coincidence or if this Charlotte is actually a, you know, daughter of Bernard. Um, and so that essentially they changed the cornerstone uh, for, uh, I'm sorry, daughter of Arnold rather, um, and, mm-hmm. and that they changed the cornerstone for Bernard from a daughter to a son um, and an illness to a fatality. And so the uh, it would be a real, I mean, it's an odd coincidence that we have a Charlie and we have a Charlotte and there's a chance that they could be connected in some and way. And they're both African-American. And, Hey, well, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily put, you know, words in anybody's mouth on this one. I'm just saying it, this is a possibility. And, well, and um, I just ages ago, 
ages ago, I said, we're not done with Charlie, and I don't know why I think that. Yep. And I think it's because of Charlotte. So, like, as this season has progressed, that has made more sense because she wasn't all that big a deal initially, you know, in season one. So this season, when I started getting this nagging feeling that we weren't done with Charlie because, like, we talked about him uh, with Dolores at Bernard's house, at Arnold's house, I mean, um, you know, that he was building so that his his worlds would be within reach of each other and how uh, Charlie and Dolores would get along really well. Da da da. So I I feel like there's more to that, and I don't know why I think that, but I also can't believe that Bernard's son being Charlie, or Arnold's Bernard's cornerstone memory being his child Charlie, and us having someone about the right age whose name is Charlotte, like that's that's not a coincidence. And you know if if they would just do the podcast. This is not a thing so that I could know for sure we could dispense with this theory. But Tom and I are on this train and we are waving to Don who is still standing at the station because he's not feeling it. I am not feeling it. Have a good time, folks. <laughs> That's fun. I'll see you when you get I back. Mean... So... It'll be not, fun, and I'm, it would be that's that's one of those theories that I'm comfortable, you know, kind of indulging my myself with, and that I don't feel like I need to go to some crazy length to do it because I feel like all of the pieces are there. This is, you know, Chekhov's name uh, up on the wall. The, <laughs> the same yes. way I feel when I wear plaid pants. It's an indulgence. Um, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not chipping it mostly because of pronouns, but. We won't go into all the details. I, I, you are not the first people I've heard this theory from. Just so you know, so you, there are plenty of people on that train with you. So you'll have a good time and somebody to get ripped, snorting, drunk. <laughs> we won't be alone in the bar car, is what you're yeah, saying. You're not going to be alone in the bar <laughs> car. No. All right. I think we're going to go ahead and leave it there for now. Um, I can't wait to see next week's episode. It's going to be terribly exciting because at long last, I can finally stop thinking about the room full of Bernards because I really want to know what the deal is there. Um, Tom, what are you looking forward to next week? You know, I, I, I think that I really want to see what we're going to see out of Stubbs. I want to see his completion uh, or his turn completed because I do think that the, he, he becomes part of team host, especially if, if he's in that room with the Bernards, um, then there's no way, there's mm-hmm. no plausible deniability at that point. Um, he had to be part of that. And of course, I just want to see him get called Ashley a few more times. I love our friendly neighborhood Hemsworth. Don, what are you looking forward to most next week? I'm looking forward to finding out what the fuck is going on with Teddy being dressed like a modern day mercenary for one. Uh, That one really grabbed me from the trailer. Uh, And uh, certainly, uh, you know, I've always got an appetite for Nard dogs, uh, that one. But I'm also, (laughs) we're going to get to see Sir Tony and Jeffrey Wright together in a scene again. Jesus, which is going to be terribly exciting. Yeah, I mean yes. that's just yeah. seeing like, what Ford like... come back, what he's come back for is something I'm kind of excited. And I'm worried. Yeah, I'm. I'm worried I because... think that reveal is going to be is going to be a big deal to us for that reason. Well, there's there's another issue that I'm really worried about too on the edge of my seat because we know in the present timeline the cradle is destroyed, right? Or at yes. least Strand and Company think so. So does that mean Ford is dead again? I don't know. And like all the hosts in there, or is Bernard dead? 
you know, because he was in the cradle, you know, what's going to happen to that? Because it's obvious also from the trailer that Dolores, Teddy, uh, Angela, and fucking scary ass Clementine are marching from that train to whoop some uh, Coughlin and company ass. Uh, yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think they whoop it successfully based on what we've seen elsewhere. So that's that's going to be something. It's it's never a dull show. I no. Kelly and I joke about this in a reaction show every week. It's like, well, they got to pick up the pace, or we're just dropping. Something's got to happen. Out. This is getting boring. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna go ahead and call it a night for uh, this particular episode. But I'm hoping that Tom, uh, we are going to open extend the invitation to you to come back again and join us. Yes, yes, We'd yes, like yes, to talk yes, to you yes, at yes. the end of season two. I uh, look forward to living and dying with y'all again. Yes, 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 <laughs> if nothing yes, yes. else. Yes, we would love to have you back for the uh, to look back at the season. Uh, and I think that's going to do it for us this week. It This has been Greetings from the Uncanny Valley. Thanks again to Jason and everyone at Incomparable for hosting us. I am your host, Kelly Gamont. Extra super-duper special thanks to Tom Bridge for joining us. Tom, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me on the Internet pretty much any place that uh, where my username is T Bridge. Um, that's T as in Tango, Bridge as in Large Structure Over Water. Um, and, of course, I'm a host of the Mac Admins podcast. So come find us there at podcast.macadmins.org. It's a great show. You guys should check it out. Um, you can find us uh, and Fire Your Crazy Theories, our direction, 280 characters at a time on Westworld Rewind over on the Tweety Box. I've been your host, Kelly Gamot. With me as always is Don Melton. Party on, Don. Party on, Garth. And wait till we wait till you guys find out what we are up to next week. Holy cow. Until then, be excellent to each other. Me too. <laughs> All right, let's rock and roll. Let's let's talk about some uh, sex robots. All right, Wild West sex robots, take two, <laughs> or something. <laughs>